0: I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Mr. Matt Simon. He is a journalist, staff writer at Wired, and author of multiple books. His latest and the topic of our conversation today is A Poison Like No Other, How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies. Welcome, Matt.
1: And thank you for having me.
0: I think this is such an important topic, certainly from a food, water and public health perspective and an environmental one and a climate change one. But I want to know how you became interested in plastics.
1: Over the past few years, I have been writing about microplastics as these studies have been trickling out, as scientists are finding these little particles in more and more places in the environment. This is actually a fairly new science. The term microplastic wasn't even coined until 2000 and Four, scientists are moving now beyond, okay, well, this is where we're finding it in the environment, and now thinking more about the consequences of that, the ecological consequences, the biological consequences, and of course, the consequences for our own human health.
0: I became interested in it because suddenly it went from being a product that had a positive impact. It was easy to carry, lightweight, cheaper than other kinds of products, but nobody ever really considered what happened to plastics after they were produced. And suddenly, as you explained, the science exploded in terms of recognizing that Plastics don't go away. They just keep breaking down into smaller and smaller particles. You have described the plastic industry's role in teaching us that, hey, all we have to do is recycle plastics, and that's the answer. But you say that plastic recycling is a lie.
1: It is. It was always sold to us as consumers as our problem, right? So it is our fault that all this plastic has been escaping into the environment, not the fault of the actual producers of that plastic. This is their responsibility. And plastic was always sold to us as a solution that really, in essence, allowed the plastics industry to keep producing as much plastic as it wanted. Because if they are recycling more, there isn't an issue. It's a perfectly circular economy, when in fact that was a lie all along. In grand total, something like 10% of plastics have ever been recycled. And there was a recent study that found that in the United States, that figure is now 5%. It's a, a stunningly low figure. And what has actually been happening under the radar over the past couple of years is that we've been shipping vast quantities of this plastic to developing nations that are then left to usually burn the stuff to get rid of it. So that's obviously an environmental catastrophe and really masks the truth of recycling, which is it was a lie. And the plastics industry always knew that it was extremely problematic, but it was great for them because it allowed them to keep producing as much plastic without consequences.
0: You describe plastic as an unbearable burden to our planet. How did you reach that conclusion?
1: I call this material a poison like no other because it is a truly bizarre kind of pollutant. So what we have is this physical pollutant. It's a physical thing in the environment, whereas something like mercury or lead is a single element that gets everywhere for sure, but doesn't have as many of of these kind of strange consequences that microplastics have as this physical thing. So it's blowing around the atmosphere. And up there, it might be playing with the way that the planet absorbs heat from the sun. And it could be acting as nuclei in clouds and changing the way that clouds form. There has been research that shows that microplastics in beaches actually raises the temperature of the sand quite significantly. And that's, a course, a problem for species like sea turtles who have this thing called sex determination, where more females will come out of a clutch if the temperatures are warmer. So obviously not a good thing to have clutches now turning out around the world to be 100% female due to climate change. And perhaps microplastics have been contributing to that. So the definition of microplastic was actually thought up in consideration of lots of these other creatures that are eating microplastics that don't necessarily eat the bottles and bags that we're more used to seeing as pollution on the open ocean. So you have essentially every organism on this planet now exposed to microplastics because it has so thoroughly infested the atmosphere. It is falling on our heads. It is falling on remote regions of this planet that we formerly thought of as pristine. There are tire particles blowing from Europe into Arctic sea ice, where scientists are finding them and and are a little bit shocked because there are no vehicles near Arctic sea ice. It is falling in remote rainforests onto the heads of uncontacted tribes that should not be sullied by the pollution of modern society. So, The consequences of this are are now coming into view, And, and I call it an unbearable burden because we already have evidence of many species that are severely affected by microplastic pollution, and scientists have only just begun finding those species. That list of species will grow, but we already have demonstrated harm to a number of organisms and a number of ecosystems.
0: Do you think there's any way out of this?
1: Unfortunately, what is out there is out there. There's no way to pull it out. There's no magical magnet that we can drag through the environment that attracts all the microplastics out there. The, the best we can do is to turn down the flow of microplastics into the environment. And I go through a number of ways in the book a major source of microplastics into the ocean is from our clothing. When we wash our clothes, little tiny fibers of plastic break off and flush out to sea. Some two-thirds of clothing now is made out of synthetic fibers, things like polyester and nylon. So we can put special filters on our washing machines to catch those fibers before they get out into the environment. I have one at home, it works wonderfully, but as I stress in the book, I really do not want the burden to fall on consumers. It is not our fault that the entirety of planet Earth has been corrupted with tiny particles of plastic. This is very much on the plastic industry. It should be their burden to fund these sorts of interventions. And at the end of the day, we just need to cut back on the amount of plastic that we are making massively. I'm talking about the abolishment of single-use plastics in particular. going can require a lot of legislation because you know that the plastic industry is not going to do this willingly.
0: Right. What I have heard is that The amount of plastic being produced is expected to accelerate because the fossil fuel industry sees the writing on the wall in terms of automobiles switching more now to electric cars, and there will be less gas sold, so they still want to make a profit, and the way they're looking to do that is to make more plastics.
1: That's exactly it. They see that we're going to decarbonize our economy and we're going to use less fossil fuels as fuels. And they want us to use more fossil fuels as plastic. Plastic is a fossil fuel. It is a very complex amalgamation of chemicals that unfortunately the plastics industry does not tell us the ingredient list for. So that's on to chemists now to essentially reverse engineer these plastics to find out what's in them. And at least 10,500 chemicals, a quarter of which scientists consider to be of concern. So these are not just fossil fuels. They are complex mixtures of known toxins that we have let the plastic industry use as this kind of grand experiment on ecosystems all over the world. Hey, what will happen if we sully every single ecosystem on the planet with these tiny particles of known toxins? That's the urgency here, is that as the plastics industry ramps up production exponentially. That production will triple in the coming decades. And we're already producing almost a trillion tons of plastic a year. And tripling that is going to be catastrophic. That's the urgency that we don't have time to waste to massively cut back on that production because scientists are showing that as production of plastic increases exponentially, so does the concentration of microplastic increase exponentially in the environment.
0: Yeah, I agree with your use of the word urgency. And I think your suggestion to reduce the use of single use plastics is a great start. I agree with you too, that this shouldn't all be placed on the consumer. We need to have some sort of global policy on it, which you describe in your book. But what keeps me up at night is the impact of microplastics on developing children. So you talk about how we have found microplastics not only in our livers and our lungs and our brains, but in the placenta. And the first feces passed by an infant contains microparticles of plastic.
1: This is the tragedy, right, that before children are even... Born, they're exposed to microplastics. Physiologically, it should not be a tremendous surprise given the size of these particles. We haven't even talked about nanoplastics yet. So, when we're talking about microplastics, that is a little bit smaller than five millimeters nanoplastics get down to way below a millionth of a meter. These are particles small enough to enter individual cells. And it is not surprising at all that these particles are very easily moving through human bodies, mothers included. So as you say, we're finding them in the placenta. We're finding them in breast milk, in blood, in babies before they're even born. And I think that the primary concern here is a particular class of chemicals that are common in plastics called endocrine disrupting chemicals or EDCs. These wreak havoc on the hormone system because in a lot of cases, they mimic the natural hormone structures in our bodies. And the way that their dosing works is particularly insidious in that we think of a Typical poison as something that the dose is very important. The more you have, that's what's going to make the poison. But EDCs work differently in that even at a very small dose, these can be highly toxic. And then as the dose goes up, kind of like a medium dose, it drops off before picking up again at high doses. So highly toxic at small doses, highly toxic at high doses as well. So if we're thinking about, okay, well, these are very small particles, even if they are dosing infants in particular, which have developing bodies with these small amounts that could still have a significant impact. But we are flying in the dark here almost entirely. We have almost no idea what it means to be dosing our children with these microplastics, entirely against their will and entirely against society's will. We did not ask to have all this plastic in contact with our bodies at all times. We are literally wrapped in this stuff when we are wearing clothes and when we're sleeping in synthetic sheets. This is, again, a grand experiment that has been pushed on us. And we desperately need much more funding into the human health aspects of this. This is happening much more in Europe where they have more money for this sort of thing. The U.S. is lagging way behind. But there is an extreme urgency here.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I don't think that we have time to do more research and try to translate that to policy at this point. I feel like we have enough research. So as you say in the book, we need to turn off the tap, certainly further understand the impacts of these micro and nanoplastics, because they are, as you say, going to be with us. They are ubiquitous poisons, as you describe. But that idea that these nanoparticles can cross the blood-brain barrier and result in neuroinflammation, which as you rightfully describe, is a hallmark of most neurodegenerative diseases. And we've seen a rise in those. We've seen a rise in inflammatory diseases, autoimmune diseases. And those of us who work in health are trying to figure out what's going on in our environment. And I think we would be very foolish not to take into account what's going on with microplastics.
1: I very much agree, and and we also see higher rates of lung illnesses, asthma, COPD, that sort of thing. Why is that going up? Why is that tracking in the caseload? Uh, very closely with the increase in the production of plastic. And as I explained in the book, we have to be kind of careful here with not necessarily equating correlation with causation. So those things map together perfectly, but we don't yet have the research that shows a causative link between a lot of these ailments. It could be that they are the result of a, a bunch of different things, maybe microplastics included, but any number of other chemicals that we're exposed to in daily life that we're never tested on. We just let the chemical industry produce all this stuff without the proper research. And this is, again, a kind of grand experiment that we're unfortunately not even just participants, but hostages in essentially. Mm-hmm. So we desperately need much more research into what exactly these microplastics are doing in our bodies. But it's going to be difficult because literally everyone is tainted in their own way. You can't compare a population of people that don't have microplastics in their body to a population that does because everybody has it. Even uncontacted tribes are exposed because it's in the atmosphere. That's the truly horrifying and tragic part about this is that We know that it's not good to have in our body all this plastic, but we don't know the full extent of the damage, whether it's behind these sorts of illnesses. And I quote a scientist in the book who says, listen, we know 1% of the human health stuff when it comes to microplastics. It is 99% not done. But I think... Five, 10 years from now, we'll have much better studies. It just takes a long time to do this kind of good research. We'll have this evidence that may be linking microplastics to human ailments, but at the moment, we just don't have that
0: right and in that amount of time we'll also have more plastic in our environment so it's a real conundrum exactly let me take one break because we're halfway through i need to remind our listeners that if you are just joining us you're tuned into food sleuth radio we are speaking with mr matt simon he is the author of a poison like no other how microplastics corrupted our planet and our bodies you know you mentioned something about we really can't look at plastics without looking at the other environmental toxins that we're also exposed to. It's like a toxic soup and there are synergies with those chemical compounds. But what I thought was so interesting about plastics is how they become like magnets and they attract viruses and bacteria as well as, say, pesticides or other pollutants in the environment. So these plastics, they're dangerous in their own right. But then they become even more dangerous because they become carriers of other toxins.
1: Yeah, it's, I hesitate to say it's, it's a fascinating world. It has its own name. It's called the plastosphere. So as these microplastics are moving through the environment, especially in the ocean, they readily gather this new kind of ecosystem on Earth that has colonized plastics in the ocean. It's called the plastosphere. That is just a super complex, super diverse community of microbes that make their home and they compete with each other. They cooperate. It's a fascinating area of research. So there's a couple of consequences to this. One is that this substrate, this new kind of vehicle, a tiny piece of plastic might be able to transport some of these microbes to different environments that they don't belong in. So we have to think about the way that the ocean is also connected to the atmosphere. Scientists are showing that when bubbles come to the surface in the ocean and pop, they fling microplastics into the air. Those microplastics blow on shore as sea breezes complete with all the microbes that they have picked up in the ocean. And maybe a weird thought experiment to, to do is to think about, well, a piece of microplastic may well have passed through the the stomach of a fish and out the other side before taking to the air and flying onto shore and into our bodies. Not a great thought experiment, but at least an important one to think about. The scientists have found a particular group of bacteria called Vibrio. These are the bacteria responsible for seafood illnesses in humans. Those are readily found on microplastics. But when these microplastics are gathering their plastospheres, they're also very easily gathering up toxins already in the environment. Things like mercury and lead stick to this plastosphere and are then transported around again within the ocean itself, but also taking to the air and blowing onto land. So it's not just the component chemicals and microplastics that we need to be concerned about, but what that plastic actually gathers as it moves to the environment. It
0: would be really nice if our country and other countries adopted a precautionary principle so that the research showing that these chemicals don't harm us before they enter into the marketplace. I know the EU is much more likely to adopt precautionary principles, but in the United States, those kinds of restrictions and regulations are seen as not very business-friendly. So we put these chemicals out into the environment, and then all of a sudden we've got research that's often taxpayer-funded to say we've got a public health problem. So who is funding the research ultimately? I know that industry likes to fund research showing that their products are safe. What agencies right now are doing or funding the research Looking at the harms that these microplastics pose.
1: In the United States, we are way, way behind in that. As as you say, we have this business forward approach to thing. Just let the corporation do whatever it wants. And then maybe we'll revisit the consequences later. The United States is far behind in this, both you know, in academia, where we just don't get as much research on human health stuff. Um, but also in government, because our institutions are captured by fossil fuel interests. They pay the bills for a lot of politicians. The fossil fuel industry is the plastics industry. It's one and the same. Where you are seeing more movement on this is luckily in Europe, where you say that they have a more precautionary approach to things, but they're also pumping a lot more money. There's a, a number of universities there that are getting a lot of funding to do the early human health studies that are so desperately needed. They are just not as captured by fossil fuel interests over there as we are here. That is the difficulty here is that we're not only fighting a fossil fuel industry and a plastics industry that would love nothing more than to increase the production of plastic in the coming decades, but would also live nothing more than to bury the research into what that means for our bodies. We have this attitude in the United States of just asking questions later. We we didn't test all these chemicals on people. And when you think about something like car tires are made out of synthetic rubber. It's a kind of plastic and the little particles that come off are classed as microplastics. These have been causing the die off of fishes in rivers in Washington state. There's a particular chemical in them that does so. Those companies that are producing those tires, I don't think ever considered that humans would be consuming their tires. When you walk down the road, the little bits of tires are flying off and taken to the air and entering our lungs. That was never intended for human consumption. And even plastics that were made to wrap foods were not necessarily tested for human consumption either, thinking that, well, this is benign material. It's not going to be mixing with the food at all. That is one of the plastic's charms, that it repels food and water and things like that. No, that was never the case. It has all been breaking into microplastics all the same, entering our food and our water and our lungs. And now we have to do the Really, really difficult work and the time consuming and expensive work of doing the research late in this. Like we microplastics have been in our bodies for quite some time. We're very late to this game to figure out. Well, my God, what does this mean for human health? Is it behind human illnesses? That's yet another urgency in this fight.
0: You're right. You know, you talk about plastic wrap with food. Some of it is easy to see. We go to the grocery store. When I look at the beverage aisle, for example, I am just aghast because it just seems like all of these plastic bottles, aisle after aisle, and then you start multiplying that by how many supermarkets there are in every community, in every state, and you realize, wow, this is a huge problem. You also showed an image in one of your webinars of something that drives me crazy, too, which is a plastic film-coated cucumber. There are also plastic-coated potatoes, if you can believe it, that say, just microwave-ready. No, 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 you never want to heat anything with plastic in the microwave. But there's one area that you bring forth in the book that I don't know how many people realize, and that is the plastic that is used in agriculture. There are plastic-coated greenhouses so we can have season extension, and there's plastic mulch, and there's plastic film that covers, say, a crop to prevent weed growth. And then there's also sewage sludge that gets applied to the agricultural fields, which contains fecal material that contains microplastics that have passed through our bodies. When you start thinking about the magnitude of this problem, it's quite discouraging.
1: It really is. And plastic has always been pitched as this benign material that only has benefits. So in greenhouses and in other applications in agriculture, it for sure raises productivity in fields and it keeps pests away and all those nice things. But we never considered the downsides. And that is that over the years, as you're saying here, we have been loading microplastics from the sludge. And it's hard to describe the amounts here. So one calculation figured that in Europe, they're applying something like a billion pounds of microplastics to their fields each year by way of sludge. It's a hard number to fathom. And coming back to this idea that microplastic is a a poison like no other, it is this physical thing. So when it gets into soils, it actually changes their properties and changes the way that water moves through it. In addition to getting taken up by the roots and into the tissues of the plants. There hasn't been a tremendous amount of research on that, actually, because, again, this is a very new field and microplastics research really got going in the ocean and has since moved onto land and into the atmosphere. But what does that mean for our crops? What does that mean for the soil organisms that are eating these microplastics in great numbers? There have been A couple of studies that have looked at earthworms in particular and found that when they eat microplastics, they suffer greatly, they lose weight, they have increased mortality. What are we doing not only to the soil, not only to our crops, but the organisms that are taking care of those crops for us? This is a grand experiment. We don't know the consequences of this, but I can very well see a future. If we keep loading our soils with plastics, that this is going to not only poison the crops, but just lower productivity. The consequences, again, it's like, that's the weird thing to think about is that now science knows how much of the stuff is out in the environment, but we don't really know what it's doing. But I can tell you for sure that it is not doing good things.
0: How has your research changed the way you live?
1: I generally try to use as little plastic as possible, but that's so difficult. We have so little choice in the matter when we're going through the supermarket and trying to find food that is not wrapped in plastic. Obviously, when we see a cucumber or a potato wrapped in plastic, we should shrink in horror. But I keep coming back to this idea that there's an equity issue here in that there are a lot of people in the United States but don't have access to fresh foods that aren't wrapped in plastic. If you live in a food desert, you might only have access to A small corner store where everything is wrapped in single-use plastic, and therefore your exposure to microplastics is going to be greater than if somebody is lucky enough to have access to a farmer's market where they don't need to use plastic at all, just put it in a canvas bag and walk away. We need more choices here. And that's what the industry is going to push against, because they'll tell you that plastic makes foods fresher they can ship them greater distances. But okay, well, maybe we should start to think about that model, that maybe we should be growing more food closer to where people are consuming it. And this is all, of course, not considering the fact that, okay, that food might be fresher, but is it tainted with chemicals that were in that plastic? And that's the choice that we need to be making as individual consumers. But coming back to this idea that this burden should not be on us as consumers, this should very much be on industry to give us the choice to not have everything wrapped in single use plastic. And it's going to require massive pushback from the public, which is why I tell people that probably the most impactful thing you can do as a person, as an individual, is to donate time or money to anti-plastics groups that are actually working on the political level, because that's where we're going to get more movement. I can worry all I want about the plastics in my home and try to get rid of as much of it as possible. I think I've done as best I can, but there's only so far we can go because absolutely everything is in some way in contact with plastic. We need to elect politicians that start taking this seriously. And you probably know that in in California, we just started to try to phase out single-use plastic. And typically what goes in California, goes elsewhere. So hopefully we see movement there because we need That choice. At the moment, we just don't have it.
0: That's a great send off, Matt. I think that as we look towards a new year, this is a way to improve our lives as well as the lives of future generations. So we can start by reading your book. A Poison Like No Other, How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies. We've got to close. We're out of time. But I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemelgarn for KOPN. And most of all, I want to thank my guest, Mr. Matt Simon, staff writer at Wired and author of the book we've been talking about today. Thank you so much for your time and truly hard work in putting this book together.
1: And thank you for having me. Great conversation.